Welcome to the Avenging Hour. I'm Jason. I'm John. Hey, it's been like a week since we've talked to these people. It's been just a week. It's true. <laughs> just a week. Um, I don't think anyone buys that considering how the Instagram account was being updated at like two in the morning. Are you saying that we don't record these live? It's not going out on the air as is? Yes, we're recording it live. Whatever time you are listening to this, that's exactly <laughs> when we're recording it. We're doing it right now. Call in. As far as you know, you're the first person that's ever heard this. So you're back from vacation. Yes. And I'm going on you're vacation. You're going on vacation. But our audience will never know. No, no. We're, we're, we're masterminds here. <laughs> we've we're gonna, have, we switched to doing the question of the month now instead of trying to like rack our brains and come up with something entertaining. Why should we do any work when uh, Mark Grunewald is doing the work for us? That's true. So we have two questions. There's two? Yeah. Well, there's two issues. Uh, so the first question is, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Do you want to take this one first? Because I have an ready-made answer. Oh, do you? Yes. No, go ahead. Teleportation. As someone who travels... And having just done that, travels a pain in my butt. I want not not nightcrawler teleportation. That that's useless nonsense. I want teleportation anywhere in the world. You don't want to just be able to like bounce around a, a movie theater. Yeah, not helpful. <laughs> hey, there's a seat three rows down. <laughs> Bamf. No, no, I don't want that. Because here's the thing with superpowers. In my opinion, is you ask people what superpowers do you want? You know, I want I want Cyclops's optic blast, which no one would pick. Who would pick that? But let's say you do. How is that going to help you in real life? Because where I live, there are no supervillains. I don't need powers that are going to help me. Yeah, if, I, I'm, if I'm using that power to like change the channel on the TV, it's pretty <laughs> much going to destroy something. Exactly. So I want a power. You know that. Here, honey, I cooked you dinner. Sorry, it's a charred mess now. I like I like powers that are helpful in in the world in which I live and teleportation very helpful tonight uh you were at the avenging arrow mansion before i was and normally i'm 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 here first because i was stuck in traffic would your teleportation um extend to other people like could you take someone with you i'd like to be able to so there was a because then you could have just come and got me i wouldn't have had to go through that traffic either right there was a dc series called young heroes in love great series didn't last more than like 16 issues but there was a guy in that series whose power if i remember correctly was that he had a car and he could teleport that car. His power wasn't that he had a car. No, his power wasn't that he had a car. <laughs> Anybody can have a car. But he had a car that he could teleport. Like he create portals and drive the car through. So you could you could put as many people as you could fit in the car. And they could all go with him. And something like that. Would well, that would have been hilarious if that would have been like Nightcrawler teleportation. <laughs> your car. Your car <laughs> teleporting tele- it around a parking lot. Yeah. Trying no. to find a better space. But yeah. So in any case, yes, I'd like to be able to. Point being, I'd like to be able to take some people and luggage with me. Mm, yeah. That makes sense. What about you? I feel like the, the quicker answers are right? teleportation, invisibility, flight, things like that. But I was going to base it off of an Avengers. Like which Avengers powers would I like to have? Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Whose would it be? The Vision. I'm very impatient, and I don't like to stand in line or wait for things, so I can just be able to like walk through. I'm in a mall with a bunch of people, and they're all crowded in front of me. I can just walk right through them. Yeah, I can see that. There could be a, there could be a lot of usefulness to that. I would, if I have to pick an Avengers powers, might pick Quicksilver's. And <laughs> same kind of idea. For much the same reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, if I can't teleport, I'll just run really quickly. And if yeah. people are in my way... You can pinball around them and ruin their cars. <laughs> I can fly by spitting my legs really, really fast. <laughs> Uh, for the record, what did they pick? Roger Stern picked flight, as did Al, Al Milgram. Uh, Joe Sinnott picked invisibility. Boy, they really were going out on a limb with some crazy answers, weren't they? They're hitting all the cliches. I feel being more introverted myself, I'm already kind of invisible. So Jim Novak wants to be the letterer, wants to be able to read people's minds as long as he could turn it on and off, which, good thinking. Yeah. Because that's the problem with that power. You don't want that all the time. Christy Scheel, the colorist, wants to be as strong as Jim Shooter 
yet still look exactly as I do. I'm concerned for this young woman. She's given some really odd answers. Mike Carlin, the assistant editor, wants the power to feel no pain, which sounds good. But here's the problem with feeling no pain. How would you know if you were on fire? Pain is helpful (laughs) because it tells you that something is wrong. And so if you don't feel pain, you know, what happens if you have, let's say, crazy story, you have cancer. <laughs> Imagine that. But you're not feeling the pain that it's causing your body. So you'll never know that you you're have You're just going to drop over dead. Yeah, that doesn't stop you from dying. It just stops you from feeling it. Mark Gruenwald, the editor, wants the power to control entropy. And Jim Shooter wants the pow- wants Reed Richards' like super intelligence and inventiveness. Is that a power or is that just Reed Richards? Well, it's not really. A, yeah, it's really not a power. But, you know, it's a neat idea. The problem with it is you need to have the resources to be able to, you know, you can be yeah, the that most. that could just drive you insane. Yeah, if you're the most inventive person in the world, but you don't, I mean, when you think about how much money it costs to be Reed Richards, that seems crazy. We spent a lot of time on that. Why don't we hold the other question until uh, an episode where we have crap questions and get, in, and get into this? I like your attitude. All right, so, oh, wait, no, that's your line. Oh, right. Previously on The Avenging Hour, the Avengers guest starred in their own annual again, this time so we could see a switcheroo with the Inhumans. Then a nihilist tried to blow up the universe because someone stole his stick. And now, episode 105. His stick or his shtick? His stick. The little control rod. That's right. A little stick on him. It would be great if they stole his shtick. Like someone was walking around with an nihilist helmet on and blue jeans. Yeah. (laughs) I hate every I hate all life. Uh, We are starting with Avengers number 234. It's from August of 1983. It is by Roger Stern and Al Milgram, and it is called The Witch's Tale. The vision has fallen. Looking like the guest of honor at some sort of sci-fi funeral, he's brought back to Avengers Mansion in a glass tube. Although considering the gadgets on it, I think it gets cable or at least some radio stations, so that doesn't seem so bad. His capsule is hooked up to some machines in the mansion, and then the rest of the team leaves Wanda to cry and probably faint with her inert husband. Everyone else goes their separate ways, with She-Hulk all but pulling Star Fox's pants off to have a go at him right there in the foyer. (laughs) You go, girl. Cap pulls Thor aside to let him know that Tony Stark is a big fat drunk, and to see if Thor can talk some sense into him, since we all know if there's one thing drunk people do, it's listen to well-reasoned arguments. Cap thinks to himself that he'll try to help Tony again, which a footnote helpfully tells us he does in Iron Man number 172. I normally wouldn't mention that, but it's going to be a short recap, so I'll tell you that Cap tracks Tony down to a flop house, tells the inebriated industrialist that Cap's father was also an alcoholic, rescues Stark when the building burns down, and then manages to lose track of Stark, who sneaks away to drink some more. Jeez. But enough of that other title stuff. What about the Avengers? Well, we skip to the next morning where Hawkeye is hard at work as security chief at Cross Technological Enterprises. Some two-bit crooks are breaking in since they heard that the Avenging Archer broke his leg, so they think he won't be a threat to them. As everyone knows, the most important limb in archery is the leg. But no sooner are they inside than Hawkeye zips over on some sort of flying sky sled, easily rounding them up. As fate would have it, Cross's PR people are there, and they take some pictures and make a big deal about Hawkeye actually doing his job. Back at Avengers Mansion, She-Hulk and Star Fox are going their separate ways after a night of wild, passionate space sex. She-Hulk heads to the kitchen to replenish her bodily fluids and runs into Jarvis, who tells her that the Scarlet Witch didn't sleep in her bed last night. Neither did Star Fox, Jarvis, but you're not whining about him. Maybe the Scarlet Witch spent a passionate night with someone, too. Heck, maybe she was with the She-Hulk and Star Fox. But no, it turns out she spent the whole night sitting by the Vision's glass tube. She-Hulk decides that Wanda is coming to get breakfast whether she likes it or not, and by the time the Wasp arrives, the two ladies are going at each other with gusto. 
The wasp calms things down, sends She-Hulk to watch the vision, and takes Wanda upstairs for breakfast. In the library, where one always eats meals, the Wasp and Jarvis are trying to force food down Wanda's gullet when Captain Marvel arrives, who She-Hulk had called to help cheer up the mutant Hexer. Wanda and CM bond over the fact that they both speak French, since CM grew up in New Orleans and Wanda grew up in Europe, where everyone speaks every language. But this is really all preamble, so CM can ask Wanda about her life, and the Scarlet Witch can spend the rest of the issue telling us everything we already know about her. Thanks for the easy recap, Wanda. Anyway, you know her history. Magic Mountain, Cowwoman, Gypsies, so not PC. Magneto, Kooky Quartet, Sexy Android. Feeling better, the Scarlet Witch heads home to pick up some stuff for a longer stay at the mansion, but while there, she is contacted by Doctor Strange. To be continued, in his title, not here. Who the heck knows what we're doing next month in this title? Maybe someone else will spend half the book giving us their life story. Our roll call this issue is Thor, She-Hulk, Wasp, Captain America, Captain Marvel, and Star Fox. We also see Scarlet Witch, Hawkeye, Jarvis, Doctor Strange, and in flashback, Magneto, Crystal, and Quicksilver. And the villain this issue is Flashbacks. Mm, our Flashbacks. That is our worst villain. Yeah. we. It's it's the the recurring villain. You know, I should be putting it on my list of villains because I think recurring villain-wise, it's been back more times than Ultron. It is horrible. I know that Wanda is Vision's wife and all that, but she is really melodramatic. She is. They've already told her that he's going to be fine. She's just waiting for him to, you know, reboot. And we know that can take a while. I'm just really, I'm not sure why they're why they're having someone around him constantly. Like, he needs to be monitored. Like, well, if, yeah, if we, he wakes up, he can just phase out of the tube. It's not like he's... Or probably lift the lid. As far as I know, they haven't locked him in. <laughs> it's really strange. I mean, to all intents and purposes, it's like he's been switched off. He's just clinging to life. Yeah. Or he's going to need some procedure suddenly or... Yeah, I would agree. It's, it's, she's a little bit um, she's a little bit melodramatic. But you know who's not melodramatic, and I love her for it, is the She-Hulk. Everybody on this team tends to treat Thor with a certain amount of reverence. She-Hulk does not. She has no patience for him. He's, you know, they're, they're, they're setting the Vision's tube in its tube home. And Thor's like, you know, we must do this and we must do that. And we blah, 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 blah. <laughs> She's like, relax, buddy. Yeah, she's like, hold your hammer, Thor. We're, get, we're doing it. We're okay. We're oh. okay without the cheerleading. Oh, are you a scientist all of a sudden, Thor? Yeah, I just, I, I like that about the She-Hulk. She-Hulk's an interesting character. She doesn't really seem to fit in. And I, I've noticed it over these next couple issues that she's very... Well, she's not melodramatic. I mean, she, she's very blunt. She's very blunt. You know, when she wants to have sex with Star Fox, it's like, yo, Star Fox, <laughs> my bedroom, five minutes. Let's go now. Um, or I'll crush a banister and throw it through a TV. I don't... And when, you know, when she finds a Scarlet Witch sitting by the Vision all night, she's like, oh, what is wrong with you? Uh, you know, I don't have time for this. Go have some breakfast, you schmuck. She really is a bit rough with Wanda, though. Like, Wanda's oh, like, she no, is. and she's like grabbing her and dragging her through the room. And... Well, as, as you say, she's very blunt. She's like, I know what's good for you, and sitting by this, by this, you know... Yeah, but when someone's saying, no, no, I don't want to, and she's still dragging her, that's not very good team dynamics. No, no, you're you're completely right. I mean... And then Wanda fires hex bowls at her that somehow have kinetic energy behind them. I don't remember when that happened. Don't get me started. Oh, that's what most of my notes are. How is that? Oh. How is... Uh, Hawkeye's got a broken leg and he's standing on this sky sled shooting arrows. How is he controlling the sky sled? Oh, that's a really good question. He's not steering it. He's standing on the side of it like side saddle. Yeah, he's got both... Uh, both of his arms are obviously busy with the bow and arrow. I don't understand how that thing's in the air. Maybe it's being controlled by... Uh, pedals 
under his feet. And then where did this film crew suddenly come from? That's what blows me away. It's like five in the morning. Why is there a film crew here? Like, were they, Have they been following him around all day? Did they know these people were going to break into this facility? Hawkeye hired them. Come on, guys. You need to make me look good. I, I have to say I really... I don't want to say I like because it sounds a little weird if I say I like the She-Hulk Star Fox sex scene. Uh, and we will obviously we don't even see the sex any of it. But I we're like, not even sure that it happened. I'm pretty sure it happened. I mean, Na- it, it was implied. But- she's naked in bed and he's taking a shower in her room. Yeah, but she's in bed by herself. That's because he's taking a shower. But what I like about it is it's a very adult, mature. You know, they don't make a big deal about it. There's no. You know, there's no, oh my gosh, can these, should these two consenting adults have sex because they're not married or anything like that? It's just like, yeah, that's what we do. Well, they've kind of telegraphed She-Hulk being loose since she first showed up. Like, she has no problem being in any state of undress or... I wouldn't say she's loose. I would just say she's comfortable with who she is. Sure, yeah. I don't like that term. She's blunt with her sexuality, Are you too? sex-shaming her? Hey, I'm all for it. Jarvis looks horrible. Yeah, he really does. <laughs> That guy's really let himself go. I don't. Well, <laughs> what's going on? His mom must be sick or something. And he's just worrying himself. He's he's stress. shame eating, stress eating, stress yeah. eating. Yeah. yeah, he's very much stress eating. When we have a flashback to when Magneto rescued Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver from the villagers and their pitchforks, someone says he can only be with such power. He can only be Satan himself. Satan would never wear that helmet. It's ridiculous. When did Satan get magnetic powers? Right. <laughs> Weird. Oddly specific. When Wanda going back to Wanda being ridiculously melodramatic when she's talking about how she found out magneto was her father she says it's like imagining it's like finding out hitler's lurking in my family tree i like that magneto is not hitler don't don't go to the hitler argument already wanda always got to bring up hitler bullpen bulletins uh jim shooter notes that the bullpen has gone out to lunch to get sushi and sashimi and he seems disgusted by the idea of raw fish yeah so it's so 30 years ago (laughs) that he's like sushi is gross sushi what is that that sounds disgusting I didn't eat sushi until, geez, probably in 1998. Well, you really didn't eat it much in the 80s. I mean, unless you were living in a metro, in a metropolis or in, you know, Japan. Yeah. It wasn't very popular in America then. Uh, we learned that all of the Marvel editors will be at the San Diego Comic-Con in August, leaving the assistant editors in charge. Yeah, they really are hitting that. I wonder if anything's going to come from that. Uh, seems weird. So it'll be, what, one month where the assistant editors are in charge. Yeah, I guess you could call it an assistant editor's month. Yeah, well, I wouldn't call it that. That's Yeah, they probably won't. That's... No. And the checklist includes the debut issue of Alpha Flight, just to put it in a Marvel timeline there. And the Doctor Strange issue we're going to talk about in just a minute is also featured in the hype box. Oh, yeah. Uh, so then we're done with the BB and we're going to the letters. Letters page. Uh, lots of praise here for Hank's hero turn in issue 229. Oh, gotta love Hank Pym. Apparently the bullpen needed to consult with a Cornell University French professor for the correct spelling of some dialogue in this issue. It reminds you how quaint the world was before the internet. They also belatedly welcome Joe Sinnott as Inker, who I think he stays with the book until Tom Palmer comes back with uh, John Buscema. And then Tom Palmer will stay, I think, until the book ends volume Forever. one. Always. Yeah. And the special announcement box mentions Doctor Strange number 60 with a story about Dracula called Assault on Avengers Mansion. It's a great story. Do you know who wrote that? I'm going to guess it's Roger Stern. It was Roger Stern. <laughs> Roger Stern's run on Doctor Strange is a great run. We do a Doctor Strange podcast. Uh, those are great issues. Is this the issue that deals with the, the Darkhold? Yeah. So basically what's going on in Doctor Strange's book at the moment is that Doctor Strange is working to destroy all vampires in the Marvel Universe. And the reason he's doing that is because Dracula has got it into his head that he can use the Darkhold to remove all of his vampiric vulnerabilities. 
so that he won't be able to, you know, he'll be able to live in sunlight, won't be able to be killed by stake to the heart, all that stuff. He can remove all of those and become incredibly powerful. And when Doctor Strange is trying to stop him, he finds out that the Darkhold, which Do- what Dracula is trying to do is get the Darkhold so that he can use this to increase his powers. Doctor Strange finds out the Darkhold also has a spell in it which will erase all vampires from reality. So it, for like four or five issues in Doctor Strange's book, it's a race between Strange and Dracula as to who can get the Darkhold first. And then they get it and they fight over there trying to turn pages back and forth, <laughs> slapping each other's hands. It's a slap fight, yes. <laughs> So in, in issue number 60, Dracula finds out the Darkhold. Dracula's working with a cult called the Darkholders. Who, wow. Yeah. Uh, and they find out that the, that the Darkhold's at Avengers Mansion, as we know where the Beast put it after he impaled it on a, <laughs> on a lance. Are they even going to be able to use it with the giant hole in it? <laughs> you would think a lot of information would have been destroyed. What Dracula does is he and his Darkholders, he and his cult members, attack the mansion. And the only person at the mansion... When they get there is uh, Jarvis and Captain Marvel. And uh, the Scarlet Witch and Doctor Strange show up, and they enter the mansion and help Captain Marvel hold off Dracula and the Darkholders. Couldn't Mar- Captain Marvel just turn herself into sunlight and destroy them all? Well, not the well, Darkholders. Darkholders. They vampires, but... Yeah, not the Darkholders. But she certainly could have... And she does hurt Dracula quite a bit. Though, again, at this point in time, he the Darkholders have, have been increasing his power throughout the storyline. So by this point in time, sunlight doesn't kill him the way it used to. Mm. So she hurts him, but she doesn't kill him. And at the end of the day, Doctor Strange magics the Darkhold away, teleports it away, and the chase continues, but without the Avengers' involvement. Did we mention that Hawkeye gets it? They mentioned Hawkeye, Hawkeye's getting his own limited series. Did you mention that? Uh, no, I didn't. I do later on. They mentioned that in the in the hype box. We will. There are important things. It's his first one. It's one that Mark Grunwald does. Mm-hmm. Important things will happen in that miniseries that we will be talking about eventually. So, MVP. I gave it to Wasp for coming in and controlling the situation. I completely agree with you. I also give it to her because she's willing to sit there and endure endless flashbacks. I kind of saw it like Airplane. That's her superpower. <laughs> where the Scarlet Witch starts talking about her history. And every time we... we and, and so we get the flashbacks. And every time we pan out back to the current time, the Avengers that are listening to her are killing themselves. Like an airplane, <laughs> right. you know, everyone <laughs> beside. Yeah, that's what I saw it as. Useless character? I gave it to She-Hulk. I think she could be a bit more subtle. I gave it to Scarlet Witch. Oh my lord, please shut up. Uh, I Best quote taken out of context? I don't have one, do you? I want to see eight empty palms, and I want to see them now. Uh, Avengers level threat? No threats in yeah, this Yeah, not issue. really. Uh, final grade? I gave it a C-. minus. There's some fun character work here, but it really doesn't move anything forward. I gave it a C. I don't like flashbacks. And, you know, again, I understand why in the days before you had trade paperbacks, you needed issues like this, because there could have been people that started reading the book that didn't know much of the Scholar Witch's history. So so I get I get that it's helpful for new readers, but but it's really odd, and it's especially odd for Wanda to, to, to focus on her for an entire issue when she hasn't been a member of the team for how long? Yeah, right. And technically isn't a member of the team now, but whatever. Issue 235, September of 1983, by Roger Stern and Bob Budiansky. This one is called Havoc on the Homefront. As our story begins, we see the team helping with some cleanup at Avengers Mansion. Apparently, in between issues, Reed Richards came by to take a look at Vision, only to be kidnapped by a bunch of aliens who, of course, melted one of the walls to get inside. Jan is flitting around, barking orders at the hired help, which Cap notes to be a bit more hands-on than he'd do it, but she's in charge. As he's heading to the gym, Cap checks on Wanda, who's still barely holding back the tears because of Vision. He offers some words of encouragement, then wanders off, opining through endless thought balloons past the indoor swimming pool. Wait, wait, they have an indoor pool? And finally reaching the gym, where he's expecting Star Fox to meet him. 
but the empathic Eternal is busy smooching some strange in Central Park. When he finally makes it back to home base, Cap gives him a good tongue lashing (laughs) (laughs) while simultaneously beating himself up over Tony Stark's current condition. Meanwhile, some 20 blocks away, She-Hulk is out for a jog, listening to a Beach Boys song and punching some guy's car when he creeps through the crosswalk. Understandably, the guy wants her to reimburse him for the damage because, seriously, who does that? But she's She-Hulk, and she thinks she can just threaten everyone with violence. Luckily, Spider-Man happens to be swinging by and butts in right before She-Hulk takes this guy's head off. He convinces the guy that he was in the wrong, and the guy agrees, wondering if he can make it back to Jersey with the front end of his car crumpled. The two heroes proceed to have a chat where Spidey learns that the Avengers pay a thousand bucks a week, and suddenly he remembers Thor's invitation. At that moment, in a federal penitentiary in Vermont... The screws want to know what the wizard knows about Plant Man's disappearance, see? The two left Riker's Island together, but somehow Plant Man pulled the old wooden dummy replacement trick and escaped. For some reason, there's a technician setting up an x-ray machine in the room, and he discovered Wizard has no skeleton. The wooden wizard rips the bars off a window and tries to escape, but falls to the ground like a broken tree branch. Look out, wasp. Out on Long Island, we see a futuristic mansion where the real wizard resides. He's lounging around in a dumb floating chair when his computer screen alerts him that his dummy is dead and he knows the authorities will soon be at his doorstep. To that end, our attention turns to Washington, D.C., where an administrative agent of the National Security Council named Sikorsky gets a briefing from his secretary. He decides to call in the Avengers, and finally, something's going to happen in this book. Captain America points out all the places Wizard used to hang out and suggests sending Captain Marvel to check them all out in about 12 seconds, but Wasp is in charge, and she has a dumber plan. Hey, why don't we split up? That always works in horror movies. Cap, She-Hulk, and Scarlet Witch are sent to Wizard's house, while Wasp and Star Fox head west to check out some other places that the bad guy probably isn't. She-Hulk implies that Wasp just wants Star Fox alone. Oh, and Captain Marvel will stay back and stare at Vision just in case he decides to ever move again. Yeah, why take your most useful member with you? At the Wizard's house, our heroes decide to take Wasp's plan even further and split up again. Within two pages, all three heroes are caught in separate traps. She-Hulk is in a room that keeps opening up onto itself, with the wizard explaining out loud that the door is wired with a dimensional matrix that makes She-Hulk walk back and forth in the same room. Cap is put in a room with no gravity and wall-to-wall laser torches shooting at him, and Scarlet Witch gets trapped in a room that contains a pocket of non-causality, which is really stupid, but apparently makes all actions have an equal chance of occurring, thus nullifying her hex power. She-Hulk, obviously, is the first to get frustrated by the trap because she's generally angry and violent. She marks a wall by digging her fingers into it, then sees the same markings on the opposite wall the next time she steps through the door. Convinced there's something going on, she tears the entire doorframe out and escapes. Next, Cap throws his shield at one wall, which propels his body into the opposite wall because physics, and then he pushes off of that wall, and look, there's no way he could have avoided all those lasers just by floating there, but whatever. He smashes lasers and gets out too. Next, Wanda finds out that if she lays on the floor, she can summon some measure of her power, and she zaps a hex into the floor, which rebounds through the circuitry and zaps Wizard. Sensing his imminent defeat, Wizard flies up out of there, barely avoiding She-Hulk's grasp. However, he's not quick enough to avoid the witch's hex that sends him crashing to the ground where Cap is waiting. Wizard makes a last-ditch threat to set off a nuclear bomb under his house, but for some reason, Cap has already found the detonator and ripped it out, and I don't know what's going on. Back at the mansion, Wasp congratulates everyone for a job well done. Scarlet Witch then goes to check on Vision, giving a Shakespearean-level soliloquy over his plastic tube, in which she calls him darling twice and explains how she didn't want to go out and do any heroing but is glad she did in the final panel 
Captain Marvel reminds us that it was all Wasp's plan because Wasp is in charge. And also, did I mention that Wasp is the leader? Wasp. The end. A roll call. Wasp. Captain America. Captain Marvel. She-Hulk. Star Fox. And Scarlet Witch. We see Vision lying around in the background. Spider-Man shows up briefly. We get the first appearance of Raymond Sikorsky, who will become the National Security Council liaison to the Avengers. We'll see him again semi-regularly for the next few years. And our villain is the Wizard. Would you like to know about the Wizard? Yeah, sure. Tell me about the Wizard. The Wizard, also known as Bentley Whitman, although I think at this point in his history he had changed his name to The Wizard. He first appeared in Strange Tales number 102 in November 1962, a creation of Stan Lee, Larry Lieber, and Jack Kirby. He possesses near superhuman levels of genius. That's what it says. He's like an evil Reed Richards, except he's not. (laughs) He created futuristic inventions that he used as a stage magician and escape artist. His inventions brought him great wealth and renown, but his spotlight was stolen by the arrival of the Fantastic Four and Boo Hoo. Wizard decided to become a criminal so he could exact revenge on the new superhero quartet, particularly Human Torch. He seems to go after him quite often. Uh, After a few run-ins with the group, he gathered some other criminals, Trapster, Sandman, and Medusa, to form the Frightful Four as rivals to the Fantastic Four. At this point in Marvel's history, he has also faced off against Spider-Man and Namor. Uh, his powers, if you can call them that, all revolve around gadgets that he's created, including anti-gravity discs, power gloves that include electrical blasts, gravitational fields, and some level of strength boost, and his body armor. His helmet also has some limited mind control capabilities. The wizard is an interesting character in that he's not an interesting character. <laughs> he's just a guy. He was created, you know, you say he tends to go after the Human Torch most of the time, and that's because that was his original enemy. He was created in Strange Tales to be Human Torch villain. When Human Torch shared the title. Mm-hmm. The problem was that they then brought him over to the Fantastic Four title as kind of like a foil for Reed Richards. There's a huge problem with that, which is that Reed Richards already has a foil whose name is Victor Von Doom, and the wizard is not a Victor Von Doom. He's always kind of been this villain who thinks he's top tier and isn't. Uh, when we get to Acts of Vengeance in this title, there are seven masterminds behind Acts of Vengeance, and he's one of them, but he's like the junior partner <laughs> that everyone kind of laughs at behind his back. It's he's He just doesn't really work, though I think he's used to decent effect in this issue. I don't think he's on the same level as Reed Richards. No, not at all. Like, he's like creating these little things for himself, and Reed Richards is, you know, making universal dimensional portals. And yeah, that's exactly it. Is the, the Marvel keeps telling us the Wizard is, you know, the ant is the anti Reed Richards, but he's not. That is Victor Von Doom. Yeah, he has because Doom has the resources for it. And he's smart enough. He's smarter. The Wizard, he's just not that smart. I mean, he's smart, smarter than I am, but he's not, he's not Reed Richards level smart. You mentioned about Reed Richards. And yes, it was, it's like three panels in the Fantastic Four where he came over to look at at the vision and these, basically he got teleported out of the mansion by these aliens. And when they teleported him, they took the wall and, and part of the mansion with them as well. For the record, it's somewhat important because if you remember, we talked, oh, I don't remember how many episodes ago about the Avengers helping the Fantastic Four beat Galactus. And Galactus was going to die. And Reed Richards said, no, we can't let Galactus die. And he convinced everyone else to help him save Galactus's life. These aliens that kidnapped Reed are part of a huge coalition of a bunch of different alien species who put him on trial for saving Galactus's life. <laughs> angry about that. Very angry about that. So they mention, uh, Captain America mentions, Thought Bubble, that... Um, <laughs> Which one? <laughs> you know, Captain America is very upset through most of this issue, and a lot of it is feeling like he failed Tony Stark somehow, coming on the heels of... Of him failing Hank Pym? Of him failing Hank Pym. Now, I feel 
feels like a failed Tony Stark, and Thor is not around because Captain America tells us that Thor has borrowed a Quinjet to fly off with Keith Kincaid and Sif to do something no one cares about. Who the hell is Keith Kincaid? I know. Freaking, well, I guess when we do our Thor podcast, we'll find out, but I don't know. But apparently, um, we're not going to see Thor again in this title for a good 10, 12 issues, probably. A, a good 10 issues? or <laughs> So yeah, Thor, bye-bye. Uh, Cap, and, and so Cap's feelings are making him a horrible ass in this issue. He's so upset with Star Fox, who is two minutes late. Hey, if he was two minutes late to a fight, could have been over. If he was two minutes late to work, he wouldn't even get his pay docked. But that's what makes... Plus, Star Fox could just punch Captain America in the face and, like, break every bone in his head. This is what makes the Wasp's plan so brilliant, is because she helps to shake Cap out of his mood. She-Hulk, while jogging, is listening to California Girls by the Beach Boys. It's funny, because when I saw California Girls, I immediately thought, oh, she's listening to David Lee Roth. Not realizing that... Wasn't out yet. Didn't come out yet. Uh, Late 80s. Maybe, maybe David Lee Roth was inspired by this issue of the Avengers. (laughs) What seems odd to me is that the She-Hulk is listening to the Beach Boys. She seems much too hip to be listening to a group play a song that came out almost 20 years ago. But it reminds her of California and how much she misses it. There's got to be other songs about California, aren't there? I don't know. It just seemed odd to me. She doesn't seem like the Beach Boys type, but maybe she is. There's no other songs about California. Also, really, she did punch that car for no good reason. She did. It's like, calm down. She's very angry. And of course, as you say, Spider-Man finds out about this thousand, the the thousand dollar <laughs> salary. Like, Wait, salary. What? And we'll be seeing the, ramifica- the ramifications of this. We'll be talking about that next episode. And, and it does make sense that Spider-Man would be interested in the money because in Spider-Man's first issue, he tried to join the Fantastic Four, hoping that they would pay him. Do they pay themselves? No. They're non-profit. They're a family. Well, they may or may not be a family, but they're definitely a non-profit. So no one gets paid. No checks are cut. So they apparently they're not sure where to find the wizard at. The wizard's estate looks like Tomorrowland. It's really ridiculous. I'm not sure. And don't they say it's like in like Long Island Sound or something? Yeah, it's on Long Island. It's apparently huge. It wouldn't really be that hard to find. It seems like it'd be really easy to find him. Why would that not be the first place you'd look? And I think it's implied that people know that he lives there. Well, yeah, I mean, how could you not know where that he... I mean, the authorities must know his real identity. So how could you not find this estate? It's not hiding. Isn't there something in there in that the bottom word balloon in that first panel that shows his house? Doesn't it say something about how they about how he's only known as the wizard, like they don't know who he is or something? He is known only as the wizard. I took that as that's all he calls himself. No, when people... he, he actually changed his name. Uh, we did. You mentioned Sigorsky a little bit. We will be seeing a lot more of Raymond Sigorsky. We will be saying goodbye to Peter Henry, Peter Gyrick, and also Cap. Stop being such a dick. All right, that's all. That's all I got. <laughs> Bullpen bulletins? Nothing. There's just a full-page drawing from John Byrne. Yeah, John Byrne, uh, you know, Jim Shooter had told us we'd be getting guest people doing doing guest columns of the bullpen. Uh, I have to admit, I like John Byrne's guest column much better than David Michelinie's. Mm, yes. Uh, much more a, interesting. It's a beautiful picture of, of pretty much every hero, every, every major hero in the Marvel Universe at that time. That takes us to the letters page. Letters page. At least two of the letters referencing the end of the Hank Pym saga note that Pym is, quote, an easy man to relate to. And I have to agree. I'm constantly remembering how everything I do goes wrong and I take it out on my wife and friends. Well, I can I, I, I can support that. That That's very true. Uh, do you have any actual things you want to talk about in the letters? Uh, the special announcements teases mm. that Spider-Woman's coming back. Is it the special announcement that also marks the 20th anniversary of the Avengers and they're celebrating with a new logo that's ugly and doesn't last long? Did did that say that? That's the one. Yeah, we're running okay on time. Do we want to do the question? Uh, Sure, yeah. So this this month's question is, if you weren't doing comics, what would you be doing? 
How are we supposed to handle that question? Well, yes, because we're not doing comics. So let me let me let me flip this on its head, Jason. If you were doing comics right now, what would you like to be doing? If you could have any job in comics, any book, any position, or your own book, what would you be doing? I'd be writing maybe a new West Coast Avengers. No, maybe a new Champions. How about that? That thing it needs a longer, more than sixteen issues. It needs more. Yeah, sure. And it was a great group. I haven't gone. Are up you going to use the same ones? I'm going up against Swarm again. Are you yeah. use the same characters? Maybe a couple of them. I always liked Angel and uh, Iceman together. And beast when they were all in the in the defenders team it was nice that they would you know take half the x-men and go put them in another group you use dark star too dark star is underutilized black whip <laughs> well she she certainly i don't know if i call her underutilized it'd say she's not utilized much I'd, I'd probably put tiger in the group somehow it would probably just turn into one of our ideas that we used to have no that sounds good to me that sounds good to me i like the weird characters fighting against the weird villains so i'd get a little weird mishmash and try and write them together personally i wouldn't want to write a book i would want to be editor-in-chief editor-in-chief oh yeah because i'd like to here's what i'd like to do it's not because i want to plot the course of the marvel universe because i have little interest in editorial driven books what i'd like to do is get some really talented people like you and be able to give them books and basically say go to it do what you want to do see if i was going to be editor-in-chief i would want to do it for the purpose of streamlining the the marvel line and like redoing it like we had talked about yeah well i would certainly do that i would would, we've talked about off microphone i would cut the number of titles that they publish cut it back to a core group of titles but then i would i would get good creative people and and say you know what if you want to do, I don't care that you're working on the Avengers, which is our number one franchise, or you're working on the X-Men, which is the number one franchise. I want you to tell the best stories you can. And I'm only going to get involved if I think what you're doing isn't a good story. Not because it's taking our characters in a way that I don't want to take them, but I just don't think it's a good story. See, here's the problem with that, though. You are making the titles based on the creators then rather than based on the characters. That's not how it should be. The characters are what are owned by the company. So the titles should be the characters. And if a writer leaves another writer should replace him on the same group and the same story. I don't think that's necessarily true. But here's the Marvel Universe did it for how many years until all of a sudden these last 10 or 15 and, they and started changing we, it? And we got so many crappy comics. I mean, we've been reading through the Avengers now for a while, but we're going to get into periods of the Avengers where I will say to you, I would rather there be no Avengers book than I have to continue to read these Chuck Austin issues. Okay, well, what are you going to do when we get into the aughts and there's like six Avengers books Ugh. and they keep renaming them and renumbering them and we have to try and figure out which ones came first and which ones are more important well, that's what Marvel does. I don't mind the renaming, but that's what Marvel does not do well, is it's difficult to figure out what what you're supposed to read when. They need to be able to streamline your books so that you know what comes first, what comes you know what What do you read first what do you read second so maybe you don't always relaunch it with just a number one but maybe you do them as seasons or maybe you do them as you but but you you should be able to i don't i don't necessarily have a problem i don't feel See, like but then you're writing for a trade market too but you are writing for a trade market that they will insist that they are not writing for a trade market well they have to insist that but it's blatantly false of course they're writing for a trade market everyone that i've read all their editors the writers all say that the single issues sell more than any of their trades they're lying and if that's the case then you should have them with sequential numbering it should be an ongoing series floppies are dead they're not sadly they should be and they will never be that way in a store setting uh but yeah you i mean so anybody that says they're not writing for a trade is lying and they should be writing for the trades because that's the future i'm of mixed opinion of it because i only read in trades but i don't think that the series should be written that way it's fine to collect six issues at a time but i don't think that okay i told this six issue story let's have the next writer come in you need you need more continuity than I get what you're saying, and I'm not saying that I... I, Well, I think you can have continuity. Well, see, okay, so now... See, that's the problem, too, is a lot of this stuff isn't 
continuous for them. But now you're saying that you do six issues and a new team comes in. Well, that's too that's too quick of a... Oh, I see. So now we're going to have parameters for how long they're going to stick around. Well, I think that if you only have... If how, you, how can you set a parameter? You want the people to leave, but now you're going to say you have to stay for this many issues? What what difference does it make? Why don't they just relaunch with a number one after Well, no, issues? because if, you, if you've got someone coming in and pitching for you, and they're like, I've got a story to tell. It's six issues. That's all I got. That's well, what you don't do, though. If you're the editor, you go... I have the Avengers. Do you want to write the Avengers? You go to the writer and ask them if they want to write the title. Sure. Okay, so the problem here is that we're going in multiple different, too many different directions. The first thing you need to do with Marvel is you need to pare down the number of titles. Yes. Because there are certain titles you always want to publish. You need an X-Men, you need an Avengers, you need a Fantastic Four, right. you need a Thor, an you Iron Man, and a you Captain America. You don't need three of each of those. Yes, you have one of each. Those have to exist. So you have to find somebody. You know you're going to have an Avengers title. You figure out who do I think would be good at this. Or you say, we're accepting submissions for a new Avengers title. If you're interested, let it, you know, send us a pitch. But I wouldn't but, ask for a pitch for one storyline. I would ask, you know, yeah, send us a pitch give for me the a series. couple years. What do you think is going to happen? Yeah, that's, I've never said one storyline. Then what you do is you go to creators that you like and you say, hey, Jason, do you have a series you want to pitch me? We, we, you know, we've got, let's say... We'll, so we're setting up our core, like, 10 or 12 titles. Yes, but you, you're going to obviously publish one of the 10 or 12 sure, titles. Sure, sure. So you say, do you have a series you want to pitch me? And you say, I want to do Champions. And I say, that pitch sounds good. Let's roll that out. Have but, at it. But then, you, but then you also have to go, which characters can I use? Well, sure. And we say well, you can't use these characters because they're already in the Avengers or the FF or the they whatever. Have, or they have their own titles. Yeah. yeah. Well, they have their own titles maybe, but definitely not the ones that are in other team books. I mean, you obviously have to do some. I mean, you can't give everyone carte blanche, but I think that once you've got them settled in, what I don't like is when, what I don't like is, is right now where they say to you, hey, we want you to write the Uncanny X-Men and here's what the plot's going to be for the next year and a half. So we want you to write the book, but we've already plotted it for you. Because you have a lot of editorial-driven titles. Yes and no. It's kind of a mix of that. Because they get the writers and they go on their little retreats together as a group. And they plot out. They do that sometimes. But there's been plenty of times, especially with the X-Men titles in the 90s, where the editors were writing the titles. And the writers that they had brought on were basically scripting them. I mean, you can read interviews with, I don't know how many writers. Steven Seagal, uh, Joe Casey. Did you say Steven Seagal? How do you spell? How do you say his name? The guy that did the one Alpha Flight run, Steven Seagal. I don't know. Maybe I just, I just got a completely different vision in my head. That's in the nineties. You can look at Steven Seagal or Chuck Norris, <laughs> Charles Bronson. They all did runs on the X Men, and they all talked about in interviews about how basically they were told, "This is the story that you're doing. Write it." Yeah, I don't think they do that anymore. Maybe not. Certainly not with the X Men because a, nobody cares. I think they do a version of that now, like I said, with a team of writers. And I, I think a lot of these crossover events come out of one writer having a big idea. And then they, you know, bend the rest of the lineup to fit that idea, like these, the secret wars and the secret invasion and everything else that's a secret. (laughs) The secret secrets. What's this one called? Secret Empire? What what the hell? Why are they all called secret something? Uh, Well, Civil War wasn't a secret. Oh, right. Secret Civil War. That'll be the third sequel to that book um but for the record uh the what would what would our creators be doing if they weren't doing comics roger stern would be working in a radio station bob budiansky would be a transportation planner for a city government oh my god joe sinnett the inker would be a landscaper diana albara the letterer would be a painter christy shield oh, this crazy colorist would be interpreting foreign languages for herself or for others <laughs> mike carlin would be a shoelace tip putter honorer he thinks he's funny mark grunwald would be either t- teaching art, or in Wisconsin making cheese. And Jim Shooter would be working in some other storytelling medium. What would you be doing if you weren't podcasting, John? Uh, I would be st- probably still be at work tonight. All right, so, are we done? Wait, oh, that's right, MVP. Good grief. Oh, MVP. I gave it to Wasp again for showing control over the team. 
Yeah, I mean, she's barely in this issue, but she, she, her, her, her fingerprints are all over it. Useless character. I gave it to She-Hulk again for being destructive and doing nothing in combat. I gave it to Star Fox. I mean, sorry, man, but you just don't have anything to do this issue. Best quote taken out of context? Well, this will make entry easier. <laughs> I like that one. I went with, no, that thingy goes over here. <laughs> kind of the same idea. Yeah. Avengers level threat? No. No, not close. Uh, final grade? I gave it a C. It's pretty straightforward. Capture the bad guy issue. Give it a B plus. <laughs> it's just slightly above me. I like this issue. Uh, and what I like about this issue is it shows why the Wasp is a good leader. Because she knows... The, I don't think it came through in Jason's recap. Because no, really? he's, he's cynical. But she knows that the Scarlet Witch is upset. That Captain America is upset. And Scarlet that Scarlet Witch isn't even a team member. Why'd she make her go? <laughs> and that she needs them to... You know, she wants to try and break them out of their funk. And so... And she knows that Captain Marvel and Star Fox have no funk. So she sends the people that need a little bit of action into the place where, where they Oh my God, action. get to the point. That is the point. The Wasp knows what's going on. She knows these people. She's not a leader just in, in as in battle. She knows her team. On our next episode, Spider-Man finally answers Thor's invitation from like three years ago and follows the team to Project Pegasus where the Lava Men cause a prison break. If you want to get in touch with us, you can send us an email at mail at avenginghour.com. We have a Twitter and Instagram feed at avenginghour. Visit our Facebook page or our webpage, which is also avenginghour.com. For John, I'm Jason, and I say farewell.